Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, college football writer with the Associated Press. This week on the show, Brian Curtis, sports media writer for The Ringer, joins me to talk about some interesting college football news related to the media. First off, ESPN and the CFP are in agreement to terms on a new deal that will keep the event as a solely owned ESPN property through 2031. That's not what the CFP wanted when it began the process of expansion almost five years ago. Brian will explain how we got here and whether it's good for the health of the sport that ESPN has so much ownership in college football. Plus, we'll talk about Nick Saban joining game day. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find this podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and just about anywhere you like to get your pods. If you like what you hear, please give us a good rating and review. It helps college football fans find us, and it helps us find more college football fans. And away we go. Joining me this week on the podcast, uh, a first-timer. Brian Curtis is from The Ringer. He is a media reporter, media analyst, sports media guru. Um, I don't know. How would you describe yourself, Brian? You do a really good job at what you do, but how would you describe what you do? I'm not sure guru is on the business card uh, in particular, <laughs> but yes, analyst, writer, podcaster, all those things. And you can find his great work on uh, The Ringer, and he has a podcast because everybody's got a podcast. Where can we find your podcast, Brian? It's called The Press Box uh, on Spotify and all other places you can find podcasts. Yeah, and The Press Box is really good for, for people who are like me, who I only really like, I like to present myself as a person who likes a lot of different things and has kind of a broad uh, array of interests, but really it's just sports and media. And when it gets right down to it, I fake all the rest of it. Uh, so if you like sports media, Brian's got a great podcast for you. And we brought Brian on here because, first of all, there's some sports media news overlapping with college football. Secondly, you know, it was one of these deals where he was nice enough to take a phone call from me yesterday to talk out an idea I had had. And as after we got done with the conversation, I was like, you know what? That might make an interesting conversation for the podcast at this time of the year. So let's start with that. The news that, that, that prompted my call to you, that prompted the idea, is... It looks like, and this was maybe one of the worst kept secrets in the business, that ESPN is going to be the sole owner of the media rights to the college football playoff going forward. A six-year extension, about $1.3 million a year. Again, this wasn't necessarily huge news when The Athletic reported it yesterday, because I think we all sort of saw this coming, and it had been reported that there was going to be a big offer from ESPN. Um but it does consolidate after months of the commissioners and people associated with the playoffs saying months, we're really going back almost more than a year now of them saying they would like multiple TV partners. They end up with one TV partner and it's the TV partner that they've had for a while. So I guess the first part to get into is, did that surprise you at all? And what does that say necessarily, not necessarily about the product the property, but the media landscape that it all ended up back with ESPN. Well, as you said, it didn't surprise me that we wound up here because those were the rumors were going. It did surprise me if we track back a couple of months when we started hearing reports that there were really no other big bidders for this package at all. Meaning Fox wasn't in on it. NBC wasn't in on it, at least at this level. So instead of getting an NFL style playoff, which, as you said, college football's um, 
leaders had wanted, they wind up getting, you know, an NCAA tournament style package where it's all one network. And I think the interesting part of this that still remains to be seen is whether ESPN winds up taking one game in the first round of the playoff and selling it to another network, or as the athletic implied yesterday, maybe a streamer. That's the only way you're going to get any other company in on this thing. ESPN's bought the whole thing. And uh, to your point, what does it say about the landscape? Well, it says that ESPN is really the only one that's working at this dollar amount, at least for college football. Seen a lot of rights. We've seen wrestling go to Netflix recently. We've seen the NBA is about to come up for bid and ESPN will be on that. But at this price point for college football, there is one bidder and it's ESPN. Yeah. And just to be clear, there were others interested when they had those meetings in Dallas and Chicago as, as the CFP has. Representatives from Fox showed up and NBC and other, you know, uh, the Warner Brothers Discover. Warner Brothers Discover, I think, is what TNT platform is now. They showed up and made presentations. As you said, they just weren't in on it for this price point. This could be a podcast alone, this this idea. I'm going to ask you this question. Are we seeing the bubble burst or is it just a matter of all the uncertainty in the media industry? Not necessarily the sports media industry, but the media industry in general that's that's driving this? All those things could be true at the same time. I think also in terms of Fox and NBC, they've spent a lot of money on the NFL you're looking at an uncertain future, right? Where you don't not totally sure where you're going to get your money. The cable bundle's breaking up. Fox doesn't have a streaming service, right? We just Fox just agreed to the streamer uh, plan with ESPN and with Warner Brothers for the uh, for kind of a three headed streamer that was announced before the Super Bowl. So I just think general uncertainty about what's happening here. And ESPN has been the one company that's come forward and said we're ready to make deals that end with the word billion. And put those deals on the books and see where we are and hope that we can figure out a way to make money like we've been making it for the last 20, 30 years. Yeah. So I don't know if this necessarily signals if you're if you're thinking if you're watching what happened with these negotiations from afar as a fan and thinking, what does this say about college football? My suspicion is, is it says more about the media landscape than necessarily college football. Um, I think that's fair. But yeah. also, you know, look, this is a ton of money. <laughs> right, Again, right. one point three billion dollars a year for a month long playoff. I mean, that is just an incredible amount to put down. So on the one hand, it says ESPN and the media, I guess, generally speaking, see college football really as your number two go to with the NFL. Like This is a big, big number. But is anybody going to get in again and play on ESPN's level? The answer turned out to be no. Yeah, I don't know if I, if I should go down the weeds on this. So the the number is a is more than double what ESPN was getting before, and even that, or excuse me, ESPN was paying before, and even that becomes a little complicated because there were bowl contracts tied to that that weren't actually part of the playoff deal, and that was about six hundred million. But even that, like, don't necessarily think of it totally as double, kind of as double. You know, the next two years. 
ESPN, there's an existing contract and it's going to be paying for about four extra games. Again, you know, some of this stuff is a little in the weeds and it might get more complicated. But um, but there's sort of a step up here where the this year and next year, there's going to be more money because there's more inventory. And then the big bump comes in 2026 when you have the full 12 team new brand shiny new playoff. And even that, again, this is only an agreement in principle because the playoff still has some format things to to, to flesh out as well. Um, it's amazing, though. I, I, I do wonder this let's, before we move on to the next por- portion of the conversation. When they first started toying around with expansion, it was 2019. And I think our then the pandemic hit and that slowed things down. And then some other things happened and slowed things down. I do wonder if in 2019, when they envisioned what this could be, if those visions were much different because of the media landscape. In other words, when they're putting this together in 2019, were they thinking, well, we'll certainly have multiple networks and we'll get $2 billion a year. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if we had sort of, if we could go, jump in a time machine, do you think your analysis would be different back in 2019 for what they could have gotten? Yes. I mean, I think the number is an interesting question, but I just think the vision of having multiple networks advertising the college football postseason in a way that's not going to be happening here. More of an NFL style format where we have one network doing the what's the equivalent of the NFC championship game and another network doing the equivalent of the AFC championship game. You could have absolutely imagined this, right, with the semifinal. Sure. We had a Fox semifinal on the ESPN leading into one network doing the final. Absolutely. And I think that was, again, I think if you had polled people, even like you and me, we would have probably leaned that way just because this is, Great. These are great games. Multiple networks have a stake in college football, and they would all want a part of this in some way. Uh, I absolutely do. I think that would have been different. Do you think the joint venture that we've heard about over the last week or so between Fox, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery, and ESPN, uh, a, a sports streaming platform, I think it's easy for people to sort of make the leap to, oh, well, ESPN's going to get all of the playoff, but they're in this venture now with Fox, and if we're already talking about sub-licensing, is that a way to get Fox involved? You know, I, I, again, I'm, I'm connecting dots as someone who doesn't understand all the all the all that goes into this, uh, and we're also trying to connect dots on something that we really don't completely understand because this joint venture was just unveiled about a week ago, so we don't even know all the details on that. But am I am I jumping to conclusions there? I think maybe I don't necessarily see this being most favored nation status for Fox, and I think if ESPN really is going to sell any of these games, they're just going to want to get money back. That's going to be the absolute priority here because they need to go then spend more money to get in NBA rights right around the corner. So I would think they'd be very happy to listen to highest bidder, whether that was Fox, whether that was a streamer, whoever comes to that game. Okay. Now the more theoretical conversation that I had with Brian yesterday when I, when I called to pester him was this idea of, is it good for college football that everything is now owned by ESPN, that the playoff is now owned by ESPN? Clearly, Fox is still in the game, still has all of the Big Ten rights or most of the Big Ten rights, uh, you know, farming some out, not farming some out, but also sharing some with CBS and NBC. But Fox is a major player in college football. I think that's fair to say. Uh, sure. But but again, not to the extent that ESPN is. And now ESPN owns the playoff. 
And we're coming in at a time when I think a lot of people, after what happened with realignment, and then you see you know, what happened with Florida State last year, the Kirk Herb Street controversy, and all the flack he's been getting for some of the things he said about with the way the playoffs should have shaken out, is this idea that ESPN is sort of the puppet master for college football. And now that they own the playoff, again, this is a theoretical question. It's a philosophical question. Is it good for college football that ESPN has so much ownership in the top level of college football? Well, Ralph, I've spent way too much of my life on college football message boards, usually those devoted (laughs) to the University of Texas, my alma mater. And I will tell you that as you know, conspiracy theories have always been there. I I do take the premise, and I think I think there is truth in it that they are going to get a lot worse with this, and they're just going to. I mean, the fact that we saw Kirk Herbstreit, who's got one of the best jobs anywhere in sports media, tweeting about this a couple of weeks ago, way after the season, about the whole Florida State versus Alabama in the playoff thing, shows you just how strong those are going to be. And and let's be honest, he's tweeting about Florida State, a school that is also covered by his own network, right? His games are also very much under the ESPN umbrella. So yes, I think that is, I think there, it's very hard to quantify what that will do. I think if there's any sort of silver lining here, it's that there will be more playoff slots. There will not be this finality, which you have the 14 playoff where, oh my gosh, we're out, right? If there had been a 12-team playoff this year, Florida State would have been in. Now, maybe they wouldn't have gotten the seating they wanted, but they would have been in. And I think that will ameliorate a little bit some of these conspiracy theories, but absolutely there will be we will there will be nothing but talk that ESPN is controlling this, ESPN is doing what it wants. Whether that has any basis in reality or not, and I think most of the answer is mostly not. That will be a huge topic. Yeah, and I don't know if there is. You're right. You're right. I, like I could, we, you, we, you and I could have a conversation about how this isn't quote unquote good for the sport, and it will have, but it might have also no tangible effect on ESPN. I, you know, they have the games. People want to see the games, so people will watch the games on ESPN, which is essentially the core of ESPN's business model, right? Even more so than it was maybe a few years ago when they started to have some issues with their cash flow streams. They just decided, well, the one thing that people will always watch us for is the game. So we should just invest in the games. Um, So I I do think it's a, I think it's interesting for me as someone who sort of looks at the game and the growth of the game to wonder if there could be some issues there, um, if it's somewhat isolating. And I just, again, I don't, the other part of this too is, I think ESPN does a really good job of trying to cover the whole sport. And I, and I, and I think it maybe in many ways does a better, I have a lot of respect for the people at Fox. I mean, some of them are my friends, but I, I think in many ways it embraces the idea of covering the whole sport, um, from soup to nuts, even more so than Fox. So I, I get why, um, it would be, you know, the the folks at ESPN would get a little defensive when they when people think of them as as again sort of uh, pressing the levers for one school or one conference or another. Absolutely, I mean, and, and what ESPN would tell you, and I think truthfully, is look, we have a three hour pregame show that covers the entire sport that often goes to games that are on Fox, as they did last year when the to take Ohio State, Penn State, to take one example. Like, mm-hmm. that that's a show that's trying to cover the entire sport. We've gotten more highlight shows than Fox does that are showing highlights from every single game. So, you know, again, if you wanted one media partner 
<laughs> college football, that is, this is probably the media party you'd want just because of the vastness of ESPN and the power of ESPN. But I do think there is something about the NFL model that is very appealing, where you have multiple networks all teasing games on other networks. What do we see during the entire NFL playoffs? Oh, turn over to NBC to see this other playoff game tonight. College football will not have that in the postseason, and and perhaps that's important. And also speaking in a way, because I even see this with if you watch the games, right? It always feels like, and and again, I, I preface this with trying to make sure I don't offend anybody here because I do like a lot of these people and I like their work. You know, Joe Klatt, I think, is just a great job uh, yes. as an as a game sure. analyst is every bit as good as I think is Herb Street, and that's a compliment. I think they're both really, really good, and maybe have a slightly different strengths and weaknesses. But I also, when I watch Fox games, I often feel like Fox is trying to. Uh, sort of wave the flag for the Big Ten. And I think that is a reaction to a perception that if they don't, it won't happen at ESPN. And, and maybe that's just the nature of college, of, of sports in general. The announcers tend to sort of get behind the game that they're, the games and the teams that they're broadcasting. Well, let me ask you that because you, you watch it with that kind of critical eye. Is that just sort of the nature of calling a game that generally speaking, you're going to, again, let's say stump for or, or, or try to lift up the team that you're calling? It seems, it seems like you always hear that. Oh, this looks like a playoff team to me, you know, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> the pop cycle you're describing is absolutely true. It's got to be true. But I think at a more basic level, you're trying to pump up the game you're showing. You are trying to give viewers the idea that this is where the action is today. Yeah, You could be watching lots of college football games. And college football has more competition on Saturday than just about any other sport. You want to tell them, this is college football. This today is what's important. This matchup. These players, as you say, this team has the look of a playoff team. So absolutely, you're going to be doing that. And you know, again, it doesn't have to stray into puppet mastering and you know privileging one thing over the other. But you're in business with these with these conferences, and when you get in business with them, you are implying what's the old SEC uh, l- slogan? It just matters more. Yeah, that, it just that means switch. more. Yep. Come on, hey, you yeah, got you got to learn this. Wait, you need to get that down because you're going to be at an SEC a, yeah, or this soon before my <laughs> credentials as a Texas. Uh, <laughs> They're not going to let you in into uh, into Austin if you don't get that down. <laughs> But you were saying, like, it, you were saying the game we are showing means more. You know, sometimes you're just literally saying that out loud, but you're certainly implying it. So I think what you say is absolutely right. Yeah, it is a weird dynamic, though, because I, I think, uh, and I remember talking to someone within college football who said this, you know, when you talk about all these networks that have a piece of the NFL, they celebrate the NFL, right? Mm-hmm. The whole NFL. And I don't think the the networks that cover college football are, and this even goes, this, it doesn't just extend to Fox. I think it, even with now CBS having a piece of the Big Ten and NBC with the Big Ten and Notre Dame, I don't think they are geared to celebrating the entire sport as much as they are just focused on what they have in front of them. And I think college football in general suffers for that. 100%. And it was funny because I was writing about the anniversary of the NFL Network this fall. And one thing the NFL has done and used their own network to do is bring their partners into line and essentially say, you're not competing with each other so much, even though you are competing with each other, you are all promoting our product. That is what you are all doing in line. So we want you to tease each other's games. We want to make it seem like this is one unified thing 
and everybody is rowing together. And that's what they've been able to do. And that's, again, that's, that's been partly due to the popularity of NFL football, but also I think the way the NFL sort of organized itself and, and basically demanded that from its partners. Will college football, quote unquote, be able to do that, at least to the same degree? I don't think so at present. And I don't know that they ever really will. But certainly that is something that would be interesting to them. Yeah. Uh, I want to flip to game day for a second here because uh, I got this new uh, new cast member. Uh, Nick, they brought in Nick Saban, which I don't think was a again, we talk about like things that are you know, poorly kept secrets in the business. Yes. I think as soon as uh, Saban stepped down, we assumed that he was going to have some role at ESPN. I guess the only thing that surprised me even not even surprised that w- I was interested in is would he be fully in on game day? week after week after week that you were he was going to be a part of that show on the desk making those road trips every week i was a, just a, again a modicum of interest or curiosity as to whether he would be fully integrated he is fully integrated brian what do you think about nick saban as a uh, as a member of game day well it's one of the great unconsummated marriages in the history of sports media nick saban and game day and these are, these two have been making eyes at each other for a decade he has been trying to hire him a decade ago out of Alabama after he'd won two straight national championships. Uh, it was just a matter of time. You even saw Reese Davis when he was doing his exit interview there saying, you know, there's a job coach <laughs> if you want one here. And uh, somebody pointed out to me that Chris Lowe from ESPN broke the scoop. Reese Davis did the formal exit interview when Saban left Alabama, but for a time, and it still may be the case, Nick Saban did not give a press conference at Alabama. So in other words, his, his exit yes. happened on ESPN. Mm-hmm. As to his dedication to game day as an entity, I just think, again, in talking to people around him, I'm sure you have a better idea of this than I do. He wants to be involved in college football all the way. Mm -hmm. Like Nick Saban is not going to do something as a second career and have it be a part-time job. Like he does want to be all in. He's interested in the sport. I think to me, the most fascinating part of him on game day is he's had all these moments, all these aggregatable press conferences we've seen over the years where he has tried to talk about the issues of college football, whether it's NIL, whether it was the hurry up offense. Remember that one several years ago? Sure. I think his role on game day that will be most interesting to me is talking about those things as somebody who mastered college football in the era when they came up as something as somebody who can talk about how the sport is going to negotiate NIL and realignment, all those things going forward. That to me is his job there because he can talk about that in a way that Pat McAfee, Reese Davis, Kirk Herbstreet, as talented as they are, cannot. Do you think, um, I have to get your thoughts on the dynamic of that group now, because, you know, along with the announcement that Saban was going to be added to that cast was also, uh, sort of an add-on because a lot of people had follow-up questions of, hey, is Coach Corso coming back? Listen, I, I think anybody who has watched that show for a long time and feels invested in college football, I, I think a lot of us are like me and feel like, you know, if Lee wants to be on that show, he should be on that show. Um, I, I'm I'm fine with him just deciding when he wants to step aside. And I also recognize that, you know, his usage on the show has gone down and it needs to be somewhat limited. I was one. I, I feel like I was one of the first people who sort of wrote a story about the relationship between him and Herb Street a few years back. I remember um, that. 
and how cool that relationship was and that, you know, Kirk has obviously in many ways looks at him as a father figure. Um, You know, we'll find out how it works, but how do you think this is going to work? Yeah, that's a lot of people on that stage, and now you have a big personality in Saban with a big personality in McAfee, and you still want to have a role for Herb Street for excuse me for Corso. Herb Street is still sort of the star of the show, and by the way, Desmond's there, and Reese does a great job. So there's a lot going on there. And if I had to just tell, ask you to speculate, how does that work? You think? I talked to Herbie about this last year, in fact, and what he told me was is that Coach Corso is going to be on that show as long as he wants to be on that show. Mm-hmm. That that's that's the idea here. Um, I think it's interesting to look at it because, in a way, they have made moves to try to shore up some of the things that Corso did once upon a time. Right? Who worked a crowd, a live crowd on a college campus better than Lee Corso did? Well. We brought in Pat McAfee, who's probably the only person who can really do it at that level, singing at the beginning of seemingly every show. Who provides that sort of coach's point of view, who can come in and say, I did this, I'm I'm not a former player, I'm the coach on the set. Well, that's Nick Saban, right? So we've seen him bring in some of the elements that, that Corso brought into that show. But, you know, I think he'll be on there two, three times a show. I think that feels like a number that was used a couple of times last year. He'll bring in, he'll certainly be there at the end. And, you know, most importantly for game day, he'll be putting on a mascot head at the end of the show. That's the way the show's going to end as long as Lee Corso wants wants it to be. Yeah. Do you, I'm surprised Herb Street, frankly, is, again, I think uh, I, I would not entertain Herb Street leaving that show until Corso leaves. Like I can't imagine a situation where Herb Street just. I, I think that they are they are uh, linked uh, intrinsically on that show. Um, but I I found I I got to tell you I'm still shocked that Herb Street keeps up the schedule that he does. I don't know is he signed for next year with Amazon to do that Did Amazon I, game? Well, one more year, I believe it was three year deal if I'm remembering yeah, correctly. I, I am still shocked that he 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 works that schedule um, because he is so good at what he does, and I can't imagine he necessarily needs to do that. Um, what do you think is the future there with Kirk? Do you, can you, do you see him maybe end up ending up as an NFL guy full time? Um, do you think he would give up the um, give up the college side of things, or maybe just give up the game day side of things at some point? It's a great question. I think if I'm ESPN, I absolutely want Kirk Herbstreit on game day. That is my number one priority when it comes to his job. Maybe even more than the. Biggest games in the booth, though he that, does quite a good job. So, of that too. so that's interesting too. So if you if you're running ESPN and you have the choice between, he says, "Hey, I can do one or the other." You're you, you're saying, "Hey, we'd let, rather have you on game day." It's a little bit of a false choice because I don't think Herbie would. would sure, give up sure, I agree things. with that. I agree with that. But I think him on game day is just about irreplaceable because the thing about Herbie is, and this is a reason I don't think he would ever leave this job, is he just loves college football and he just wants to inhale college football in a way that's different than almost anybody any other human that i've ever met like that's what he wants to do like he wants to watch all the games he wants to talk <laughs> about all the teams he wants to know everything he possibly can which made him makes him the perfect person for that show but it's only shows since 1996 which is just a huge amount of time in television yeah but i i just don't ever see him leaving that to me to me that is his base he's got a great deal at amazon he's obviously got a great deal with fowler calling the national championship game the saturday night game every week but that to me is is kirk herbster is is being on the desk in game day 
Yeah, and I do wonder. I I I wonder if I injected truth serum into Fowler, which he would want to prefer. You know, because the NFL is a huge platform, right? I mean, if you're if you are a, an announcer, a game, a play by play guy, being an NFL announcer, and the amount of eyeballs you draw, and the and the chance to possibly call a Super Bowl, right, which is the biggest gig in that in that profession. Um, I kind of imagine it would be a little bit alluring, but I also know Chris had, you know, in his heart as a college football guy and, and really loves college football. But it'd be, it's, I think it's going to be interesting to see how that could evolve as uh, as the chess pieces move. But then again, the chess pieces on the board in, in the NFL, as far as these commentators and announcers, may be set for a little while. It is. I mean that 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 is a fascinating hypothetical. If there were actually a number one NFL job for him to get where he could call a Super Bowl, whether he would, and he had to pick between that and a Saturday night college football game, like where, what would he do? I would be definitely fascinated by that choice with Chris. It just doesn't exist right now because you got Joe Buck and Troy Aikman and they're signed through ESPN's first ever Super Bowl and almost certainly will be signed through ESPN's second ever Super Bowl. <laughs> After that, they aren't going anywhere. So I just don't know what that job would be in his case. So you can read Brian Curtis at the ringer. You can listen to Brian Curtis on the press box podcast uh once a week on the podcast twice a week um i chop it up with uh, david shoemaker my ringer cohort here on mondays and then i bring in somebody from the rest of the media that sounds very broad but i bring <laughs> a favorite reporter or talker or a uh, media entity to, to do it with me on thursdays well, Brian, listen, I very much appreciate we finally had a chance to meet each other in person in the press box before the uh, Texas-Washington uh, playoff game. It was nice to get acquainted. I appreciate you, uh, again, letting me bother you to flesh out some ideas. And mostly, I appreciate you on very short notice doing this gig. So, Absolutely, Ralph. And trust me, you will be bothered in turn. That's <laughs> the deal here when you talk to a media reporter. No, I appreciate it very much. No, listen, listen, as I tell a lot of my friends, I think all of our conversations are now podcasts. I, I <laughs> I, we can't. I can't have a. Po- I can't have a conversation with one of my friends without it being recorded and used as content. It really is true, isn't it? The old the old saying was, "This should have been an email, and now it's, this should have been a podcast." You get like five minutes in it. Whoa, whoa! Somebody turn on the mics. Let's <laughs> let's do this proper stuff. Brian Curtis from the Ringer. Thanks so much, man. Thank you, Ralph. And now three and out. First down. By the time you hear this, a judge is likely to have ruled on the preliminary injunction requested by the states of Tennessee and Virginia in their antitrust lawsuit against the NCAA challenging NIL recruiting rules. The states didn't get a temporary restraining order last week, and often the injunction ruling will follow the TRO ruling in which the judge said there would be no irreparable harm done by keeping the NCAA's rules in place, even though the judge also did tip his hand and said, in the long run, the plaintiffs will probably win this case. Let's assume the injunction is granted. I think I said this last week, but the victory might be more symbolic insofar as it is another rebuke of the NCAA's authority to just govern college sports. Frankly, collectives seem to have already found workarounds to be involved in recruiting. It's also notable that I think a lot of collectives have come to learn over the last couple of years that their limited resources are better directed toward retaining players currently on teams uh, they represent or in acquiring transfer players. 
Now, I'm not naive. If you lift a ban on NIL being used as a recruiting inducement, you now create a safer space for coaches to communicate NIL benefits to recruits and connect athletes with collectives. How comfortable coaches and collectives are diving into this new, less regulated space will be user's choice. I'm sure some more so than others. And again, at some schools, it might just be business as usual. As is often the case in college sports, there will be a ruling. It will be very important, and the real-world impact will be sorted out in 6 to 18 months. Second down, happy SP Plus Day to all who celebrate. A friend of the show, Bill Conley from ESPN, dropped his preseason projections, a combination of returning production, recent results, and recruiting rankings. No big surprise that Georgia is on top with a bullet. Ohio State is number two. I would expect when the AP preseason poll comes out in August, we'll see some combination of those two teams at the top. Couple of things that caught my eye. Florida State is number 12. Frankly, I would have expected the Seminoles to be a little lower considering all the star power they lost off of last year's team. Should be noted that Bill takes transfers into account and will adjust the rankings after the next portal window in the spring. The top 11 is comprised of Big Ten and SEC schools plus Notre Dame. In fact, 13 of the top 15 teams are Big Ten or SEC teams with nine Southeastern Conference schools in the top 15. There is a cluster of five Big 12 schools from 17 to 22. That tracks. Uh, I think what we expect from the new Big 12 is a fair amount of quality parity among contenders, but not many truly elite teams from year to year. Though I would say that I expect the Big 12 will produce some elite teams, but it will be far more cyclical than in the Big Ten and the SEC, where you have a small group of teams that contend for national championships and high playoff seeds every year. Third down. Oh, yes, since we last spoke, BC hired Bill O'Brien to be its head coach. Ohio State hired Chip Kelly to be its OC, luring him away from UCLA. And UCLA replaced Kelly with assistant coach and former Bruins great Deshaun Foster. I will not pronounce the carousel over for fear of tempting the gods. But in a season where we didn't expect a ton of movement, we ended up with 30 FBS teams changing head coaches, including 14 Power 5 schools. I like the O'Brien move for BC to get a coach with experience and a track record of success this late in the hiring cycle. I think has to be considered a win for the Eagles, who lost Jeff Halfley to the NFL. The Chip Kelly move is complicated. UCLA probably should have moved on from Kelly after the season, but it would have cost the school more than $8 million in buyout money. Knowing that he was probably heading for a season on the hot seat with a so-so team and a very difficult schedule, it's hard to blame Kelly for trying to get out while the getting was good. I'm glad UCLA gave Deshaun Foster a chance to be a head coach. It's a bit of a risky move due to his lack of experience. But I don't think UCLA had a ton of great options at this point in the calendar. I don't know exactly how much UCLA is paying Foster. He got a five-year contract. We don't know the, the financial terms. My guess would be around 3 to $4 million per year, maybe a little more than that. I think under the circumstances, going in-house and saving some money and taking a shot on a guy you know 
was a very justifiable decision for UCLA. That's the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, John Radcliffe, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you like to get your pods. Please, please follow so you do not miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. I can guarantee you next week we will be off. So don't look for a podcast in your feed. Next week I have some trying to get away from it all, take a little vacation, unwind, maybe even delete Twitter from my phone for a little while. So we will be off next week, but we will come back soon after with more of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. <laughs>